Well, the ECB has pushed up rates 75 basis points, but they seem reluctant to push ahead with QT for now. Are they worried about what that's going to do to the economy? Does that mean Europe is now part of the pivot brigade? It's becoming a global movement, except in Japan, of course, where pivot would mean a turn in the opposite direction. Is that going to happen? Well, the Bank of Japan meets today. But pivot expectations still alive today in the United States. Uh, But there's one number to look out for today ahead of the Fed next week. What is that number? Well, you're going to have to stay tuned to find out. It's Friday, the 28th of October 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a real mix of U.S. stocks this morning. Tech is down, but we've seen a 0.6% rise in the Dow, but a 0.6% fall in the S&P 500 at close and a 1.6% drop in the Nasdaq. Amazon have reported their earnings with revenue uh, a bit behind expectations, although net income was better than expected. But it's their Q4 guidance, which has hit the pessimistic tone, which has seen shares falling 14% on the news. Uh, Apple earnings, they're a bit too late for this podcast, but their shares lost more than 3% during regular trade. Microsoft was down 2%. So a real tech route this morning. Across the board, media and entertainment stocks are down about 8% on this big fear of falling ad revenues, presumably. Against all of that, much less movement in European stocks, but big moves in European yields, down 32 basis points for 10-year yields in Italy, just after the ECB, down 18 in the UK and France, and down 15 basis points on German 10-year bonds. Compared to that, US 10-year treasuries, well, a fairly quiet session. They've lost six basis points. Points. Two years have lost almost nine, around 4.33% now, fleetingly up to 4.57% overnight for whatever reason. Fat fingers, perhaps. And the US dollar up 0.8% on the DXY. It's uh, been a bit on the slide lately, of course, but it's on the way back up. Against this slight turnaround, the Aussie dollar is down 0.6%, around 64.5 US cents now. The euro is down 1.2%. No big moves on the yen ahead of the Bank of Japan later on, perhaps because nobody's expecting much. And the pound is down half percent and oil as well today. That's up quite a bit. WTI and Brent both up around 1%. They're up more than that earlier. Brent around 96.70 a barrel. And uh, look, you know, there's an interesting story around earnings uh, from commodity companies today, which we'll come on to in a moment. The big story, though, uh, is the ECB. Well, you know, it's a big story and it wasn't a big story. Uh, Rodrigo Catrill joins me from NAB in Sydney. Uh, the You know, they raised rates by 75 basis points. That was as expected um, and why wouldn't they? You know, inflation is at 9.9%. Rates were just one and a quarter percent. So they've got a bit of catching up to do. Uh, but, you know, there's a, a bit of an expectation that maybe they're not going to do that again, that this is the last big hike from the ECB. Do you think that's the case? Um, morning, Phil. Yeah. So I suppose there's a couple of things there to note. One, uh, in terms of pricing expectations, there was always that expectation prior to the meeting that there would be a step down uh, in the re- level of hikes in, in December. So from 75 today to 50 basis points in December. Um, but certainly the language uh, coming from, from the ECB sounded less committal in terms of the pace uh, of hikes, uh, also in terms of uh, a move away from forward guidance and, and the emphasis that it's going to be a meeting by meeting decision. Um, and then after the meeting, we also had a, a Bloomberg report uh, noting that um, it wasn't a, entirely a unanimous decision to, to lift the cash, uh, the, the deposit rate by 75 basis points, um, that there were in, indeed three policymakers that wanted a smaller half point step. So it's certainly a, a significant shift away from this aggressiveness and it opens the door to uh, the ACB being less aggressive. And in fact, that's what we've seen in terms of pricing expectations, um, particularly for the, the terminal rates um, and next year. 
um, which had been declining prior to this. But um, so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was around 3%. Um, you know, prior to the meeting it was 280 and now it's around 250. So it's, it's been a significant downshift in terms of those expectations. And it has had ramifications in terms of big move lower in, in, in core yields in Europe, which has also uh, affected 10-year uh, US Treasury yields as well. Yeah. Well, Christine Lagarde did say there's more ground to cover. But, I mean, that is a pretty open statement, isn't it? Because, you know, you could say well, we're only going to raise 25 next time. That's still a bit more. It's just not much ground. So, I mean, obviously, they're going to lift rates again. But the question is how much? And the issue they've got, obviously, and we, we talked about it earlier in the week, you know, we've got Italy's new Prime Minister, Giorgio Maloney, and of course, Macron's been saying the same thing um, that, you know, that, that it, pushing up rates is just not going to help those countries that have uh, got high debt and in some cases, very low inflation. So look at inflation in France is just 5.6%, you know, well below what it is in Germany. So this is one of the problems of the euro area, isn't it? You're either in it or not and you have to cope with the consequences. Yes. Um, and I suppose uh, there's probably two things uh, worth adding on that. Uh, the, the first one is that um, when it comes to the inflation outlook, there's still quite a lot of decisions that the EC, the European Council, needs to decide in terms of what they're going to do with a pricing mechanism, for instance, and the impact yeah. you could have on, inf- on the sort of the energy inflation that is coming. Um, so that could be quite significant in terms of the outlook for inflation. And therefore, the ECB is right in saying, well, we need to wait and see how that plays out. Um, whilst at the same time, as you point out, there is this growing political pressure, not only in Europe, but around the globe of, of you know, why central banks being so aggressive when inflation has been driven by a supply shock and, and a tightening policy is not going to change that supply shock. So um, there is there's a sort of growing argument that uh, central banks need to be a bit more patient. And we'll get the idea of that differential between France and Germany, for example, today, because we get uh, inflation numbers for both. So France was on uh, last time 6.2%. Germany was on, I think, 10.9%. I wonder if that gap is going to close or uh, is it going to stay wide open, which is just going to, you know, add more fuel to, to Macron's argument? Yes. Uh, at the moment, the, well, the French inflation is expected to tick up a little bit from 62 to 65 whilst Germany inflation is still expected to remain unchanged at 109 so it's essentially 11%, so still very yeah. elevated. And, and for now, you would argue that even though there's a big gap, uh, inflation at 6% in, in, in France is still not ideal and, and it's still argues for for a central bank to be aggressive in trying to bring it down. And am I right in saying that they've also decided they're going to put quantitative tightening on hold in that they are not going to uh, not only not sell off bonds, but also they're going to keep buying them as they mature, which is which would explain part of the reason why we're seeing this big fall in yields in Italy, presumably. Yes. Uh, well, the expectation there was that they were going to sort of tee up the, the market for, for an announcement to happen in December. Um, but now it seems that, you know, this is going to be delayed uh, and that certainly has has contributed to to the exceptional performance of the Italian bonds. So, what what does all this do to all the pivot talk that we've been seeing then that we uh, that we talked about yesterday? Uh, the pivoteers, as uh, we're now going to call them, uh, are they still out in force? I mean, is this has the ECB and all that talk from uh, from Europe just reinforced that, that expectation? Do you think? Oh, certainly it is the case. And then, of course, we got to remember the Bank of Canada also did a small. Um, well, we don't like to call it a pivot. We, it's, it's almost like a change in gear, down gear shift in terms of the, mm. the, the pace of hiking. Um, uh, we haven't yet pivoted to stopping or even talking about rate cuts. But 
Um, for for markets, what is interesting is that this becomes an issue of relativities. You know, there, there was this expectation that the, the Fed will pivot. It hasn't pivoted yet, and yet the dollar has made this big move lower because of those expectations. And now there probably needs to be an adjustment and, and realization that, okay, maybe the, the Fed is pivoting, but others are pivoting too. And then the question is, who's going to pivot by more? Um, and particularly that move low in the terminal rate in Europe becomes quite important in that narrative um, because at the moment the, the expectations are that the Fed funds rate will pick around 450, potentially 5%, uh, whereas now the expectations are for the ECB to pick around 250. So that gap will become relevant in terms of performance for currencies and, and expectations for, for growth outlook next year as well. Right. But I mean, the, the reason for that differential was because the European economy was seeing as, you know, as a softening of its own accord, you know, and a lot of it obviously was because they're closer to the war, whereas uh, in uh, in the US there was more money uh, spilling around and people were spending more, so there was there was more work to to be done. But if we see that the US economy is starting to slow, I mean, that was part of the reason for pivot, uh, all the pivot talk, wasn't it? That, the, the, you know, perhaps the economy is slowing now and the, the Fed might not need to do quite so much. And yet we had the GDP numbers coming out and they were very strong, 2.6% quarter on quarter. That was rather a surprise, wasn't it? Certainly, uh, you know, couldn't that soften those pivot expectations? Yeah, so yes. So on the, 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 the headline number has certainly surprised to the upside, 2.6 instead of 2.4. The details, however, were not as encouraging. What, what has flattered the number has been that exceptional boost from net trade, uh, which um, it's unlikely to be repeated. So that's one thing to consider. Um, and then the other is that the details, particularly in terms of domestic demand, was actually a little bit soft. Um, you know, we've, we've seen final demand uh, rising only 0.5, and it has been rising around 2.25 uh, on, on the last year average, a five-year average. Um, and then when you dig further into it, um, you know, the decline in terms of the the investment in residential housing is huge. It's, it's, it's down now at an annual rate of around 26%. Um, consumer spending is also, is also a little bit softer. It, it rose 1.4 um, from the previous month, but um, there, there's certainly evidence of this demand destruction that is that is occurring in the, in the background. So um, so when you look ahead, the, the expectations are for, for the GDP reading in Q4 to slow down to somewhere around 1%. And that still, you know, it, there's an assumption there that fiscal side will remain buoyant and that there will still be consumption at a certain level. So um, it, it probably marks the peak in terms of the, the improvement or recent improvement in growth in, in the US. And, and it does suggest that going ahead, we will see a more significant downshift. But what about prices? So the core PCE prices were up, weren't they, uh, quarter on quarter? We get the PCE deflator later on today as well. But it looks like, uh, and also the employment cost index as well, which the Fed will be looking at as well to see what's happening with wages. But it looks like, you know, so far, not any real big signs that inflation is easing. Yeah, so um, here's where, I mean, you, you, you talked about this idea that central banks are looking to take the foot of the tightening pedal because of slowdown in growth. Um, and, mm. in, you know, technically that's not entirely true because the Fed in particular has been talking about the emphasis about inflation rather than growth. And at the moment, the sole focus of, of uh, central banks, so the Fed in particular, is that you can't have inflation elevated at these levels. It's not sustainable and, and it's really dangerous uh, for, for the growth outlook uh, over, you know, a medium term outlook. So you need to bring inflation down. And the price for that, um, if it is slower growth and higher unemployment rate, it, it's, it's something that you so, need yeah. to be willing to accept. So 
for to me at least uh, it, when it comes to when it comes to it's not to, just me saying that i mean the market's saying that isn't it that's the whole reason why people are saying well there, yes, there isn't. yes but that that's mm. where i think the debates will become clearer particularly after the fmc when you know fed chair power may well uh, you know insist that we haven't yet seen enough evidence that suggests that you know those inflationary pressures are easing you mentioned that ECI uh, later to, to today, uh, the employment cost index, that would be super important in terms of expectations for the FMC meeting next week. And if there's not enough evidence of a cool down in terms of those inflationary pressures, then that the Fed will probably retain that hawkish tone and, and suggest that more work is needed. Um, Similarly, you could argue that maybe the ECB has sound a little bit more coy about that and probably a little bit more sensitive, and rightly so because the slowdown in, in growth is more evident um, in, in, in Europe and Q4 is also going to be the big challenge um, uh, along with Q1 next year. So they are staring into a recession at the moment uh, and therefore maybe there's an argument for the ECB to be a little bit more mm. cautious. But if you don't see uh, an ease in those inflationary pressures, the ECB will also be forced to retain a hawkish stance and, and deliver more yeah. hikes. But I wonder whether also fiscal policy can step in here. And the reason I mention that is because, I mean, we get ExxonMobil and, and Chevron reporting their earnings today, but we had uh, Shell announcing their Q3 earnings uh, overnight, $9.5 billion, which is down on Q2 because gas prices have fallen, but it was well up on, on last year. But they also announced $4 billion, $4 billion, in share buybacks to be completed by the end of Q4. So, I mean, that is begging for a windfall tax, isn't it? Because they're basically saying, well, look, all this money that we've made through, you know, just by circumstance, we're going to pass back to our shareholders while the uh, the man in the street is paying more uh, for, for energy. So obviously governments are bound to step in uh, if they can. I mean, maybe less in the US, but certainly the UK will, where they're trying to make, uh, you know, budget ends meet over the next few weeks. And if they do that, then you know that is a transfer, isn't it? Those profits all of a sudden go to cutting the cost of uh, the cost of fuel, which is going to have uh, you know, which is going to dampen headline inflation. You'd presume. Yeah, and I suppose politically speaking, uh, I don't think there will be there will be many people complaining about that. No. Well, even the even the CEO of Shell was saying, "Well, we can see this is coming." In effect, that's what he was saying. You know, and we he was almost saying, "Well, we have to do our bit." Yeah. So there, there's certainly more talk and more acceptance and, and receptive audience to, to this idea in Europe. Uh, and now that's also transferred into the, onto the UK with Jeremy Hunt even talking about taxes for uh, banks as well. So um, I'm not sure what will happen in the US. There tends to be more more or less affair, but um, uh, but certainly a, a theme to, to keep an yeah. eye on. All right. Now, Bank of Japan is next. And the expectation is that they will do nothing. They've been doing nothing a lot lately. Will they continue? Uh, but before we announce that, well, we get the CPI for Tokyo, which is expected to rise. I mean, is there a chance that inflation is going to become a problem for Japan? Well, it's, inflation is a problem in Japan. You know, getting inflation of, uh, above 3%, which is already there, um, you know, hasn't happened for, for decades. Um, now, they, they, the argument that the Bank of Japan has, has said that they, these inflationary pressures are not going are likely to be permanent because they, they have come about from the supply side shock. Um, and what they want to see is that a more sort of demand driven inflation, particularly through an increasing wages growth. And, and to see that, we need to wait for the Shinto meetings, which uh, start around March next year. And therefore, 
uh, you know, for now, the, the Bank of Japan will remain resolutely committed to its ultra-easy policy. Now, that that's the sort of official line. Uh, the reality is that uh, there's a lot of pressure, not only in the bond market, to, to retain this yield curve control policy. Uh, there's a clear kink in, in, the, uh, in the curve where the 10-year has been kept lower, but, you know, the 9-year and the 11-year are way much higher. Um, so um, the, the question is, how long can the Bank of Japan sustain this policy when you have every other central bank or major central bank, with the exception of the PBOC, you know, hiking and trying to fight the inflationary pressures? Um, so there is that small chance, and I, I was speaking to, to Jason, one of our traders yesterday, and he, he was highlighting that there may well be the case that um, Kuroda might hint at some conditions or some you know, guidance for a, a, an exit of yield curve control today. Uh, and that will certainly be a, a big, big impact for, for markets. Uh, but the general view here is that um, there will be no surprises and that, that uh, uh, the Governor Kuroda will, will stick to, to the party line. All right. Well, it's good to yeah, I mean, it's nice to have a day with no surprises, isn't it? Really, we haven't had many of those lately. And it, next week really is a, a, a Bank of Central Bank, isn't it? Because we've got the Fed, we've got the Bank of England, we've got the RBA. I'm sure there's others, but uh, <laughs> three pretty big hitters next week. So it's going to be a, a very telling week, that's for sure. Definitely. Uh, the, the Fed in particular, and particularly, as we mentioned, that employment cost index tonight yeah. could be really important in terms of expectations for uh, what the Fed will do and say uh, uh, next week as well. Have they got wages under control? Absolutely. We'll watch that with keen interest later on. Good to talk, uh, Rodrigo. We'll catch you again soon. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. People are forming sides now, aren't they? It's the Hawks versus the Pivoteers. Which side are you on? Uh, who's going to win? Find out next week with another exciting episode of The Morning Call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby. Have a great weekend. See you on Monday.